Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Jonah chapter 4, 1 to 11, uh, page 646 um, in the Church Bible. Jonah's anger at the Lord's compassion. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at the dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, and we do thank you that you uh, speak to us through it and that your Holy Spirit is at work as we hear it. And we pray, Lord, now as we get into Jonah chapter 4, that you'll teach us truths about who you are, how good you are, but you'll also remind us of how much we need you. And I pray now, Lord, as we uh, dive into this uh, chapter today, that you will, uh, your Spirit will be at work, moving our hearts to, to know you more and to, to, to desire to live for you and to, uh, and to repent of our sins so we uh, can live a life that does please and honor you. We do pray for that now. In your son's name, amen. Uh, there's a series on TV called Stranger Things. Who's watched it? Right? A lot of the room. It's, one of the, it's, a, it's a series that's taking the world by storm. Uh, it, it makes you feel nostalgic if you grew up in the 80s and 90s. Um, it's a great show. It doesn't matter if you haven't watched it. I'm not here to spoil it. Season 4 came out the last month. Uh, it's being released in two parts. Actually, in the next couple of weeks, the, the second volume of season 4 is coming. I think everyone's really excited for that. Um, but this is, um, this is Stranger Things, and this is one of the characters from it. Uh, and already people are getting uh, speculating what's going to happen, what's going to happen to the characters on the show in the last season. Right? This is when it's all going to end. It's been four seasons. People who are big fans like myself have been uh, waiting to find what, what, what happens. And a lot of people have been speculating about this character, Steve Harrington. Let's go back, sorry. Steve Harrington, right? Him and his luscious long hair. He's actually my favorite character. Influenced me a lot. Um, but he's my favorite character. 
And apparently on the internet right now, so we'll go to the next slide, there are heaps of people tweeting about him. But they're tweeting about him because they're really worried about what's going to happen to him. They're all speculating that he's probably going to get killed off. It would be absolutely tragic. Now, if you never watch a series, it doesn't matter. All you need to know is everyone's really worried about that character, okay? It doesn't matter if you've never watched Stranger Things. I'm worried. Everyone's worried. The Twitter sphere is worried. Now, this is what some of the tweets that are coming out says. I'll just read a few of them. One of them says, if Steve Harrington dies, you'll never hear from me again. I will delete all social media. I will transcend into heavens higher than our dimension allows it. I will go absolutely feral. Sounds so dramatic. Another one. If even a scratch is laid on Steve Harrington, I'm coming for the duffers. The duffers are the directors and the writers of the show. I'm coming for them. If Steve Harrington dies, I die with him, and my suicide note will be addressed to the Stranger Things writers. Well, it got really dark there, didn't it? Like, suicide, come on, you don't joke about that stuff. But that's how people are feeling. Uh, there, there are articles written about how people are feeling about Steve Harrington, and I get that because I feel the same way. Now, you might not care about Steve Harrington. You might not care about Stranger Things. You've never watched it before. But we've all felt that. Haven't we? I mean, when you watch a TV series or a film and, and it, it starts so good and you're just thinking, I hope this doesn't end bad. Right? I, want, I want this to end on a happy note. Right? I mean, come on. Like, you guys have watched, what, Twilight? No? That was terrible, right? I mean, uh, Star Wars, episode one to three, if you've got Star Wars fans, I know all the Star Wars fans didn't like how they did that. Titanic? Come on. Jack could have been saved. Let's be honest. Everyone felt disappointed. We want the writers to rewrite the script because, hey, we actually know better. We, we think Steve Harrington should live. We think Jack should live. We think they should rewrite the whole script because we know better. And it's funny, isn't it, how emotionally invested we are in these fictional characters. They're fictional. They're not real people. But we forget that. We forget that. Uh, and, and, and we forget that we actually, we wouldn't even know about Steve Harrington if it wasn't for the Duffer Brothers, if it wasn't for the directors and the screenwriters and the... That they didn't, if they didn't put so much great work into developing them for us, I wouldn't be able to even appreciate him and his glorious long hair. Shouldn't we be thankful? I'm, yeah, we should be thankful that we even have Steve Harrington for four seasons at all. And, that, and all this commotion on the Twitter sphere made me wonder if, if, if that's sometimes our attitude towards God. I mean, we don't like the way things have turned out sometimes in our lives, do we? or perhaps the lives of others, or just the unfortunate circumstances in our world. And we shake our fist at God, saying, God, why did you let this happen? Why didn't you protect me? Why did you let the bad guys get away with it? Why do I feel loneliness and anxiety? We get angry at God, and we assume that we know better, that we can rewrite this, that we can write the story of our lives much better than God can. But doesn't that usually mean... Writing it in a way that leads to me having more comfort. More comfort for me, more, more peace and security for me. More happiness and joy for me. The outcome that makes me feel good. Just like what the, the fans demand of Steve Harrington's character. Of course we want to tell God what to do when it suits me. But what about when God acts in a way that doesn't? when his ways don't make sense, or we simply can't comprehend it without limited, finite minds. Or even to take that a bit further, what about when he asks you of something that involves being part of his work in the world, when it might sound terrifying or just simply out of our comfort zone? Will we still recognize him as God? Will we still give him the honor and praise that he's worthy of? Or will we sulk? Will we call it quits? Will we get on Twitter? Twitter? 
and tell God how to do his job because we think we know better. Now today we're going to see how this is reflected in Jonah's life. Jonah, uh, if it hasn't already, if you've been with us, if it hasn't already, it's going to be like a mirror to our souls. And today we're going to dis- we'll dissect his heart and his attitude. And at the same time, my hope is that we'll also take a hard look at our own hearts. Take a hard look at how we approach God and live out our life uh, as, he's call- uh, as he calls us to live from Jonah's story. Okay? So we're in the last week of Jonah. Quick recap, if you haven't been with if you don't know anything about Jonah, Jonah is a prophet. That means he's someone God has spoken to directly. He's been called to be a messenger to bring a word from God to the city called Nineveh. This is happening around the 700s BC, and in the area of what we know today as uh, modern-day Turkey. Now, Jonah gets this memo from God to go to the city, Nineveh, and bring this message, but he tries to run away from his responsibilities. And not going to lie, I think we all would. They were violent, ruthless people. They were enemies to Jonah's people, Israel. So Nineveh were enemies to Israel. And for him to go there, it would be like uh, going into Nazi Germany as a Jewish person and telling Hitler to change his ways. That's how scary it would be. Jonah runs. He gets on a boat and tries to sail in the opposite direction, but soon realizes he can't run away from God because soon a furious storm hits the boat. He ends up in the water, and a big fish is sent by God to swallow him up, gobble him up, something that only the supernatural, you know, uh, only can be explained by supernatural miracle. He's kept alive. It's all quite dramatic. That's only chapter one. And in the fish, he comes to realize that He's disobeyed God. He's come to realize that he needs to repent, and he recommits himself to God through this prayer. He prays, he gets vomited up on the shore, goes to Nineveh finally, then tells them they're going to die, which is, and then another miracle happens. The whole city hears this message, and then they all repent. They turn away from their wicked uh, and violent ways. They cry out to God, hoping God will grant forgiveness. This is in chapter 3. Guess what? God does. God gives them forgiveness. He shows them mercy. And we finished chapter 3 last week with God showing this, this, this un, not unexpected, really, mercy to the city of wicked people. Now we're going to pick it up from chapter 4. We're going to get, get a glimpse into Jonah's heart as Jonah deals with this reality that these people, his enemies, have been forgiven by God. Let's read the first few verses um, of chapter 4. I've got it on the screen, I think. But we're just going to read the first few verses uh, of chapter 4. So if you, if you have your Bibles open, you can follow along. It says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Wow. It's it's so dramatic, isn't it? Uh, It's like something out of Shakespeare. Woe is me, just kill me now. Goodbye, cruel world. Kill me now. Jonah gets so emo. He he, he sees a city repent and and, and be forgiven. And you think, as a prophet of God, wouldn't we expect him to actually be celebrating this, overjoyed? They've repented. They're saved by God. But he's not. He's depressed. He doesn't want them to be saved. He doesn't like Nineveh. He wanted judgment and punishment and doom to fall upon these people. And he's sulking. He wants God to rewrite the script. He says it out loud. This is why I didn't want to come in the first place. I knew you were forgiving. That's your character. I wanted you to punish them. And for Jonah, that's what justice looks like. They deserve to be punished for being such wicked people. 
But isn't that exactly what mercy is? God's mercy is shown when he relents from punishing people who deserve punishment. He shows mercy, and Jonah can't understand that. Justice means punishment needs to be performed. I get that. We'd all want that. I mean, justice is wide into the human heart, isn't it? When we see the weak being taken advantage of, we want justice to be done. It's why the, it's why the, 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 the Me Too movement began. It's why, the, it's why we care about hashtag Black Lives Matter. It's all over the internet. It's why no one likes the schoolyard bully, because people want to stand up for justice. And I, for one, get furious when there's injustice that happens to me or my friends and the people, the weak around me. The question is, when we get angry, is our anger justified? Or is our anger because of our self-centeredness and sin? Jonah, he gets angry. In the first nine verses, we, we read that Sam read for us, his anger is mentioned four times within those nine verses. And three times we're told he'd rather die than live. He just wants to die. That's, that's how much he's taking it to heart. I'm so angry, I want to die. But this anger of Jonah's God, this, Jonah of, or this anger of Jonah's God wants to question. In fact, God wants to challenge him. Jonah, do you have a right to be angry? You see, he gets angry, and, and he gets angry because the Ninevites get, get mercy. And, and this is really interesting because uh, wasn't he prepared for that? Didn't he know that was going to happen? You know, remember in chapter 2, if you were with us, chapter 2, he was praying this prayer. He realized his sin, his disobedience, he was running away from God. He realized God's mercy and grace for him. And so he prays this really great prayer of repentance. And we leave chapter 2 thinking, man, this man has changed. He's a, he's a changed man. But now we're thinking about this prayer in chapter 4, and I'm thinking, wow, that prayer is just it's a little bit fishy, isn't it? There's something wrong with that. We're here in chapter 4, and it sounds like this man's heart hasn't changed at all. He's still the same man from chapter 1. Here he is, and he's not taking responsibility. He's like, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. Let me justify myself, why I ran away from Tarshish in the first place. Let me explain and justify my sin and my disobedience. Let me, let, you know, and the struggle is real, isn't it? I mean, we all feel this. We say sorry, but then we, we sort of justify it. We, 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 we don't own it. We explain why we acted the way we did. That struggle is real. I mean, we all, do, we all do this at times, don't we? We say, I only did this because you made me do it. I only acted or said those things because you triggered me. And friends, aren't we so short-sighted sometimes? We, we love that self-justification thing because we hate being exposed of our weaknesses. Jonah's weak. You know what? I'm weak too. I'm that guy who says sorry, but then I'm, I'm justifying my actions in my heart, comparing myself, telling myself, well, I'm not as bad as that person. Or I'm telling you that I only did this because, well, these were the circumstances, this was the context, this is what triggered me, blaming something else or someone else. Yeah, I'm sorry, but I'm not really sorry. And when we're doing that, we aren't truly owning it, are we? For Jonah, one second he's sorry, I ran away from you, God. I'm so sorry. Thanks for rescuing me. Thanks for sending a big fish. But next minute, actually, God, you're the reason I did that in the first place. It's all your fault. You wanted me to be your messenger. <laughs> That's your mistake, not mine. And so his anger, he justifies. And it just writes off, doesn't it? It just seems to write off that great humble prayer he had in chapter 2. Did he really mean it? Maybe in the moment he did. But for us to see his heart now, we're seeing what's lying beneath, deep down. A heart that has no mercy or grace for these people, who he deems undeserving and lesser than him. Unworthy of God's mercy and forgiveness. 
Instead of mercy, we see an anger that spews out from a place of self-righteousness and pride. See, Jonah thinks he knows better than God. So what does he do? From verse 5 to 9, uh, he leaves the city. We won't read the whole thing. He leaves the city. Let me tell you, he finds a place on the east side of the city to sit and wait for God to do something. You see, he's still hoping fire and sulfur will come down from the heavens and consume this city. You know, the original message was you still you have 40 days to change. So he's, he's waiting out these 40 days, hoping something's going to happen. So that's why he's sitting on the east side of the city. He built himself a shelter, something probably out of sticks and clay. But while he's sulking and waiting, God does something miraculous again for him. We all know the fairy tale, right, of, of Jack and the Beanstalk, right? Jack throws a magical bean to the ground, grows overnight. Giant beanstalk, fee fi fo fum, I smell the blood of an Englishman. Well, maybe that fairy tale got it from Jonah. Here we go. A plant with broad leaves grows overnight. Just grows overnight. Provide shade for Jonah. Now he's pleased. He's happy. He's feeling glad. He's got sunshine in a bag. He's got a bit of comfort for himself, doesn't he? You know, and, and you can understand that relief. You can't blame him. He was probably living it up in a palace or something, in, in luxury back in Israel. And he's probably hot and bothered and tired now. A leafy plant? Wow, that would have been absolutely delightful. The simple things in life, right? Man, imagine having a day off where you can just sit under the shade of a tree. I haven't done that in so long. But the next day, God sends a worm. God sends a worm and eats up that plant. No more plant. No more happy Jonah. Not only that, God sends a scorching east wind and the sun's beating down on him. He's melting. No more happy Jonah. Angry Jonah's back. All he wants to do now is die again. Verse 8, he wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Within three verses, Jonah goes from anger to happiness back to anger. Roller coaster of emotions. And the question still remains Jonah, do you have a right to be angry? Let's look at what God is doing. Because when you go over Jonah's story again, you and I both know that Jonah himself has been dependent on the mercy and grace of God up to this point. Jonah himself should be a dead man in the water. Who rescued him? God rescued him from drowning. God sent a big fish that protected Jonah from the water. The fish vomited him, up, vomited him up on the shore so Jonah could finish the mission he was called to do. God created a leafy plant in chapter 4 that protected Jonah from the sun. But then God sent a scorching wind that brought Jonah back into conversation with God. Jonah has said in chapter 1, the God of heaven is the creator of the, the land and the seas. Right? The fish in the sea, the plant on the land. And so whether they seem like pleasant or unpleasant events, all these non-human agents were appointed by God to bring Jonah back to his mission, to be calling him back to relationship with God, to be calling him to see that God is his God. And these are all little moments of rescue, aren't they? Deliverance. But even though God has taken care of Jonah, we see Jonah's anger at his circumstances, shaking his fist at the author of life himself. Rewrite the script, God. Jonah should have so much to be thankful for, but instead he's trying to tell God how to do his job. Otherwise, I'm just going to die. I'd rather just die. How does this chapter end? It ends with God, with his words to Jonah. Bit of a cliffhanger, actually. Verse 10. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight, 
And should I, have, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? See, if you heard these words, you'd probably say something, I think young people would say, he just got burnt. Is that what people say? It's not, it's not anymore, is it? I'm, I think that language is outdated. Got shut down? He just got shut down? Roasted! I hear that a lot these days. Yep, he just got roasted by God. Jonah isn't afraid to keep all these words in his book, isn't he? He's keeping the words about how he got roasted by God for us to read. Isn't that so interesting? Jonah looks like a fool. Someone who's self-consumed, only concerned with his self-interest, but here it is for us to read. The only way we can have this to read is because Jonah probably told someone about this story. We have this, so Christians like us can say, well, I'm learning stuff here about Jonah and God. And here he is, he's getting questioned by God, and he's made to realize where his heart truly was. God says, Jonah, are you serious? You're angry? You want to die because of this plant? Jonah, was this plant really precious to you? You only had it for a day. Surely you can't have a deep attachment to it, right? If you planted the seed, sure, maybe, fertilized it, watered it, pruned it, cared for it. Totally understand if you'd be upset. I get that. You know, the other week I was really upset. My pet fish died. It jumped out of the tank. After six months, I was caring for it for six months. It jumped out of the tank. I was grieving all day. But for Jonah, this plant, here one day, gone the next. And God is saying, you did nothing to contribute to it. And Jonah, your concern was dictated by self-interest, not genuine love for the plant. Let me ask you, Jonah, how much more should I care for Nineveh? You're so emotionally impacted and have pity by the destruction of this plant you didn't even create. Shouldn't God have the same pity and compassion for a city of people and animals he did create? You see, God's heart is on full display. His mercy means he doesn't want to see them perish. He wants his creation to know him and to turn to him in repentance and worship. He wants him to see that life and goodness is found in him, not in wickedness and sin. What Jonah wants and what God wants can't be more different, can it? God is concerned with the city. Jonah is concerned with his own comfort. God has saved the Ninevites and Jonah wants to die. All the while, God saved Jonah so the Ninevites didn't have to die. You see, all this information is here for us to read. His story was passed down from generation to generation. Jonah could have retold the story however he wanted. He could have rewritten the script. He could have made him sound like a hero. But instead, he tells the story to expose his shame, his cowardice, his selfishness. We have this story and all his failings because he wants to leave us with God's words, having the final say. Because Jonah doesn't want us to be pointed towards him. He wants to point us to God. The God who he says is a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, who relents from sending calamity. See, Jonah didn't come up with that statement about God on his own. There was a well-known truth throughout the Old Testament. It comes up all the way back in the book of Exodus, chapter 34. You can look it up yourselves. But then again in the New Testament, this truth is echoed, in Peter's letter to the church, I think I've got on the screen 2 Peter 3 verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God has a heart of mercy. And you see, Israel knew about this God. Jonah knew about this God. Do we? 
Do we trust God and are we, are we willing to heed his call for us to live out our faith, to trust him and his plans for us and his plans for those around us, even if it might take us out of our comfort zone, even if it might mean we sacrifice our comfort and our ambitions because we are called to serve his mission? Or do we complain and ask God to rewrite the script to suit our narrative and what our heart wants? You know, yesterday I was at dinner and I overheard someone say, uh, you do you. And I've said this before too. It's a catchphrase of our generation. Follow your heart. Follow your dreams. But what if you do you is one of the most unhelpful pieces of advice we can give someone? What if it leads to pursue our selfish desires without considering where God is calling us in life? See, Jonah knew about the compassion and forgiveness of God. If someone told Jonah, you do you, would he have gone to Nineveh at all? That's why he went to Tarshish in the first place. I mean, the Ninevites in chapter 3, the sailors in chapter 1, our non-believing friends, my friends who don't go to church, they don't know about this God. But they hope for it. Like them, they hope God will forgive them. They hope that God is compassionate. But they don't know for sure. They're just imagining someone, some greater deity that will hopefully show them mercy. You see, you and I do know this God. And what that means is we're meant to feel, really, the sharp rebuke that Jonah feels he receives for selfishly guarding that truth about our God. Jonah says salvation comes from the Lord. It's true, but he wants to keep that truth to himself. And so often, like many of us, aren't we like Jonah when we're not willing to bring the good news of Jesus to those who are searching for the truth, those who are searching for meaning, those who are searching for love and forgiveness? But instead, we're keeping that truth to ourselves. Salvation comes from the Lord. Because we're too busy writing the script for our own lives in our own hands, not fully trusting God, but instead taking the advice, you do you. What we need to be empowered by is to see not Jonah, but how Jesus himself comes into the narrative. How Jesus shares God, God's heart for the lost when Jonah doesn't. You and I, we were once sinners, lost, running from God. Jonah ran from God. Jonah deserved to be abandoned into the watery grave of the sea. Nineveh. Destruction was meant to come to Nineveh. That was what justice required. The, their wickedness and their sin, rejection of God, meant God should reject them. But just like Jonah and just like Nineveh, God gave mercy and grace. Just like us, just like you and I, we've received that mercy and grace in our Lord Jesus. God is a God who is slow to anger, compassionate and abounding love. Don't we see that in the character of Jesus? God's great mercy reveal. You know, God didn't forget about justice. Justice was performed. You see, while sin requires punishment for justice, the innocent Son of God, Jesus himself, took the punishment for us. And so you see, at the cross, we see justice and mercy meet. God's justice was performed on Jesus. We receive mercy. We're forgiven. And it came at the cost of Jesus' life for us. He took our sins so we could have life. That's the heart of the gospel, isn't it? The good news. And this truth should humble anyone. Jonah doesn't understand why God would save those nasty Ninevites. But I don't understand or comprehend why God would save me. Why he'd love me. I know my selfish heart. I know my depraved thoughts. I'm as much as a sinner as the next person. But Jonah reminds me of this truth. God created me. 
And just like Nineveh, I go through life not knowing my left from my right. Metaphorically, I go through life lost, blind, just following other blind people trying to get through life. And what I've come to realize is God has been so patient with me and my failings. And his compassion means he wants to see me not perish, but to know the life and truth in him. So he sent Jesus. Jesus experienced the worm that ate the plant. He experienced the scorching east wind on my behalf. He dealt with the destruction that was meant to be for me. He dealt with that by his sacrifice on the cross. Jesus brought salvation to sinners like you and I through his death and resurrection. So you and I could experience God's abundant love, compassion, mercy, and forgiveness. So why am I still trying to argue with God and thinking, I know better? Can't we see that he's actually worthy of our worship and our submission because he's trustworthy and good? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, if you're new to Christianity, that invitation is for you, just as much as it is for the person next to you who is a Christian. You can have a relationship with the God of compassion and mercy. You can embrace his forgiveness for your sin that's available through the cross of our Lord Jesus. God wants you to come home. God desires for you to know him and the love and peace that comes from a relationship with our Creator. But for us who are Christians, maybe it's time we start listening to Christ's call for our lives, to take up our cross and to follow him. Yeah, One way you can do that is to share God's heart for the lost, isn't it? Just like God expects of Jonah. He's rescued. Jonah's rescued. Now he's calling us to bring the message of good news to those around us too. God uses runaways like Jonah to to reach runaways like Ninevites, the Ninevites. Will we see others around us with that same heart of compassion and mercy, knowing too that we didn't deserve the goodness and grace of God, that they too can share in the joy and peace, security and freedom that God offers like we do? Why aren't we? What is stopping us? Is it fear? Is it our selfishness? Is it because we've taken God's heart of compassion for ourselves for granted? Is it because we truly don't know the great salvation we've received in Christ? We forget the seriousness of eternity, heaven and hell for those around us? Or are we just simply too comfortable? If we believe salvation belongs to the Lord, we can have courage, can't we? Because we're just the messenger. Jesus is the Savior. Perhaps it's, perhaps it's time for us to get out of our comfort zone and heed the call for us as Christians to go and bring the good news to the lost because we too were once lost and now saved, not because we were good by any means, but only by the grace and mercy of God. That's the challenge I want, to leave, I want us to leave with today as we finish Jonah's book. The author of life, God himself, has actually already rewritten our scripts so instead of facing death, like, like Steve Harrington might, we might, we through, Jess, we through Jesus can have eternal life. That's our scripts rewritten. Why are we still tweeting to God? Why are we still asking him to write a better narrative for us when we already have the best? See the risen Savior Jesus. See how he left his own comfort. See how in mercy and love came to bring a message of life to the lost around us. And see now how he calls us to follow him and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your grace and your mercy, that we who are once sinners have been saved by your love, by your grace, through Jesus, through his death on the cross for us. 
we pray, Lord, that we'll, we'll know and, and feel that message so deeply that we'll um, desire to go out and bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus to others around us. We pray and thank you, Lord, for, for, for the book of Jonah that teaches us that, that puts a mirror up to our souls. Help us to see where we uh, fall short, our failings, like, like Jonah. But Lord, like Jonah, help us, point us towards you and your heart, a heart of compassion for the lost, a heart of compassion for people like us. We pray, Lord, that that, yeah, that truth, your spirit will be at work, uh, moving us towards that truth and moving us to live lives that please you, honor you, uh, and on mission for your gospel, for, the, for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.